Side Hustle Show 312, Six Rules to Scale Any Side Hustle, or How to Get Out of Your Own Way. What's up, what's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, because you want to build something that works when you're not. This is an episode about getting out of your own way, about the transition from technician to business owner. When we start out, we are everything in our business. I mean, sales, customer support, design, marketing, bookkeeping, operations, you name it. And what happens if we're not careful or if we're not intentional about it is we end up building ourselves another job. Does that sound familiar? Today, I want to challenge you and really to challenge myself because this is something I'm still working on to think like a CEO, to take a higher level view of everything you have going on in your business and look at the bottlenecks and the opportunities. To help me work through what we're going to call the six rules of scale, I invited Sean Marshall from FamilyRocketShip.com back to the program. We last heard from Sean way back in episode 92, that was early 2015, and I think he's someone worth paying attention to because he set up his business, which is an online marketing agency, he set it up in such a way that the day-to-day operations don't require much of his direct involvement at all. On the surface, it's a freelancing business, right? I'll deliver XYZ result for this client. But Sean has navigated himself away from the common freelancing trap or ceiling of trading his own time for money. And in doing so, that affords him and his family a pretty cool lifestyle. Last time we caught up, they were living in Cozumel, Mexico, and we had lunch here in California when they were back in the States. And today, he and his wife and three daughters are spending several months in Scotland. So stick around in this episode to hear Sean's six rules to scale any business. And keep in mind, if you don't want to scale, you absolutely don't have to. But I think these rules will be valuable to you to implement no matter where you're at today. And we'll look at them through the lens of a freelancing or agency type of business model. I think they're applicable across a broad range of different business models, mine included. So notes and links for this episode, plus the full text summary of those six rules are at sidehustlenation.com slash Sean. Now, CEO thinking is a skill unto itself, and there's a lot that goes into that. But as you listen in, think of the areas of weakness in your own life and in your own business. And when you're ready to step up your skills in those areas, I want to invite you to join the millions of side hustlers and professionals doing just that on the online learning community, Skillshare.com. Our sponsor, Skillshare, has more than 20,000 on-demand expert-taught classes on everything you need to take your business to the next level. Visit Skillshare.com slash side hustle for two months of unlimited access for just 99 cents. Again, that deal for Side Hustle Show listeners is at Skillshare.com slash side hustle. Before we dive into the six rules with Sean, he proposed two questions to ponder as prerequisites. Number one is, why did you start your business in the first place? What do you want out of it? How big do you want it to be? That's the big why question. Question number two is what's the highest and best use of your time? To achieve that ultimate why from question number one, what things do you need to do to get there? And equally important, what are the things you need to stop doing? So those are the two questions to keep in mind as we go through this episode. Why do you start your business in the first place? What's the highest and best use of your time? So we begin this call with rule number one, find a model or mentor who's already doing the thing you want to do. I'll be back with my top takeaways from this chat with Sean after the interview. Ready? Let's do it. 
So once you decide how big you want to be, then you can get to work finding a model or a mentor or basically another person or business that's doing what you want to be doing. And maybe you're doing your business a little bit different. Maybe it's a, di- a business that's totally not even related to what yours is, but it's a similar model. And so you can model them, you can emulate what they're doing. And then the thinking is that you, if you do what they do, you'll get what they get kind of thing. I think that's kind of probably the first step is deciding how big you want to be. And then based on how big you want to be, then you decide, okay, there's somebody out there already doing it, go find them and then kind of work backwards or reverse engineer it. Okay. If they're making a hundred K a month, how are they doing that? Okay. Well, they're, they've got to be selling X amount of products at this amount and they're using Facebook ads to drive that blah, blah, blah. So you can do the same thing. You can kind of reverse engineer and then get busy delegating (laughs) to get that done. Okay. So not necessarily a one-on-one mentorship model, just like looking for somebody who's been there, done that, gone before you and say, okay, how can I look behind the curtain of their business, at least from what's publicly available and see, right. Okay. How do I reverse engineer that? Exactly. It can be one-on-one though. I mean, there's lots of people out there who have courses, of course, there's lots of people that are doing coaching and all that. You just want to make sure that they're the real deal and that they've really done what they're now saying that they're selling, that they're doing kind of thing. In my own case, I was working at a job and this was, you know, back in 2010. It was my last ever job that I had. I was looking for some way out. I wanted to be free. I wanted to start my own business. I wasn't sure quite what. And somehow I came across this course that this girl was talking about starting a social media agency, you know, and she talked about how she was making $10,000 a month posting tweets for, for clients. You know, I was like, what? I can do that. You know, I was already mostly doing that with my, at my job anyways, you know, and that's when the idea for my business came up. And then of course the whole story that we talked about last time, but getting laid off and the whole thing. And that's when we decided to just go for it. And it worked out happily ever after, but I made a lot of mistakes that first year and I kept myself in kind of what I would call freelance, freelancer mode instead of business owner mode. You know, I was doing everything myself. I would go out and get sales in the morning and then come home and do everything myself. And I was in that kind of mindset of not wanting to delegate or not wanting to build a team because like I said, I was fearful and, and didn't want to give up any money. But I think the key was for me was actually I read two books. One was The E-Myth by Michael Gerber, which is a pretty famous book. I think everyone who ever has a business should definitely read that book. And the other one was Built to Sell. And that was a big turning point for me. because And I read those right at the end of the first year in my business. And those are a big, big turning point. So Built to Sell was talking about a guy who had like a design agency and mine was an online marketing agency. And so it was very similar models. And basically the premise of both books are to treat your business to be scalable, like as if they were a franchise. Even if you have no desire to franchise them or to sell them at all, you need to build it as if you're going to, because that forces you to get on top of the business and not in it. And it was really that second year, the turn turn of the first year into the second year when I started doing that and started, I got my first like outsourced person, you know, like part-time contractor and not just using Fiverr gigs and stuff like that, but actually like hired my first part-time person. And you can look at my income statement, it skyrocketed proportionately to my being willing to 
put a system in place and get a team in place. It's unreal how closely connected those two are. Yeah, I think that freelancer mode versus business owner mode is a really powerful distinction to make. And actually this model mentor, somebody you can follow or kind of guide you along this path, whether that's one-on-one relationship or just, you know, you're kind of following from afar, was mentioned in Smart Cuts, which is a book that I read this summer on how come these people seem to have really accelerated the learning curve or the success curve. And they talked about Jimmy Fallon and, and Barack Obama and, you know, all these different examples of like how theoretically they shouldn't be doing this at this age, right? Right. So that was an interesting one. You find a, a mentor or a model. And I've been fortunate enough to have podcasters who've gone before me, bloggers who've gone before me. Obviously, Pat Flynn has been a huge influence, Robert Farrington at The College Investor, Rosemary Groner, people that you can kind of see what they're doing and as probably an unfair advantage of like by virtue of being a podcast host, well, let me call them up for an hour and see what they're doing, which is helpful too. But then getting to share that, of course, with with everyone else. Okay, so that's rule number one, find somebody to model or don't blaze a completely blue ocean strategy. Like somebody is going to have some strategy that you can follow and you don't have to reinvent the wheel. So find that, follow that, make your life a little bit easier on that front. What's rule number two? Rule number two would be have a very specific system for every aspect of your business. And this would be like your operations manual for everything. I actually got this idea from, well, actually from the E-Myth is, is one of those. But then also from my friend Connor, who actually has a roofing business, and he showed me his operations manual, and he's got one for every single aspect of his business, and it is detailed. So even like his sales operations manual, if you were to go get hired as a sales guy for his company, he's going to give you a notebook, and it says literally even what to say. If you go to a customer's house and you're putting a bid on a roof, You give them the proposal and then it says literally hand them the proposal and then remain silent and wait for them to speak. It like gets very detailed, really boils down to having a very specific checklist for every aspect of your business. And once you go through it yourself, you can also like highlight every single thing that you're doing. Hopefully that makes sense. What's this look like for you? I'm curious because my operations manual, like my systems and processes are Some are in my head, some are documented, but the documentation is kind of disjointed in it's spread across a bunch of Google Docs and checklists and and sometimes it's videos that I send to my virtual team. Do you have a centralized database of this stuff? I'm just curious like what that looks like for you. Yeah, it's all based in Asana. So I actually started off using Basecamp, but then a buddy of mine introduced me to Asana and I love it. And so Everything is in there. Now, we have different tools for different things, but as far as the operations manual, you know, I don't have some big fat notebook or PDF that I make them read through or anything. It's just because my business is a marketing agency, a digital marketing agency, everything is services based, right? And so I have, let's say we get a new client, then there is a process that what happens when like an onboarding process, what happens when we get a new client? Well, then there's this new project created in Asana and then there's new tasks and those tasks are assigned to certain people. And then those people have dates that they have to complete those tasks by every single detail. And so everything is listed out step by step. And then for me, I have a great bird's eye view of everything that's going on. I know 
who's working on what, when, when it's going to be done and everything. And so it's like a living, breathing operations manual because it's being used every day. It's not just something that you read through your first week of orientation and then it goes and sits in your desk kind of thing. It's something that we use every single day for the work for the client. Yeah, maybe I need to get on board with that because it's like trying to juggle all of these different moving pieces in your head. Well, this episode is going into production and I need to do the intro for this and I get to work on this blog post and this has been assigned to this writer. You know, having command central for, for your business sounds like probably a smarter way to run it. So that's rule number two, you know, a very specific system, an operations manual that lists out everything that you do, how you do it, and that set yourself up to be able to delegate. And we'll get to those, I imagine, are, are some of the later rules. That's rule number two. What's rule number three? Rule number three is also another system, but it's a sales system. The first system that we talked about is the operations manual, but you also want to have an operations manual for your sales as well. And there's two main ways that you're going to sell in your business. You're either going to sell via ads or you're going to sell via marketing, right? So so ads are, of course, paid. Marketing is, let's call it relatively free, but it's your time. It's your hustle that you're putting in. So, And that could be stuff like SEO, search engine optimization. So those are kind of the two different ways that you're going to generate business. And then you want to set up systems for each of those. So for ads, it's simple. If you're using Facebook ads, for example, well, then your system is almost kind of literally within the Facebook power editor and what you've got set up there. With marketing, that's a little bit different. And then that goes back to your team. Who do you have doing what? Are you having someone working on the SEO of your own website? Are you having somebody doing email marketing? Whatever that may be for your particular business. But those are kind of the two principal ways that you want to set up systems. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over three and a half million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you, whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. 
Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. And when we last spoke, it sounded like you were kind of, hey, I'm happy with the number of clients that I've got. I'm going scuba diving. Life is good. Have you been in growth mode recently? And if so, I'm curious what's been driving your sales or what your sales system looks like today. It's relatively the same. So my business has actually grown since we last spoke, but I haven't actively personally been in growth mode. And I owe it all to the 2010-2011 Sean that worked his butt off hustling and networking and meeting with business owners and, and talking to everybody because I've been sitting pretty based off of the work that I <laughs> that Sean put in, right? Because what I did make primarily back in the, those first two years were to, I talked with everybody I could, every business owner I could, and I focused on making a lot of face-to-face connections, networking via face-to-face. I'm not naturally big on that. I'm somewhat introverted. Being out there and working the room isn't my, necessarily my favorite thing to do at all. But I found with my particular business, because it is a digital marketing agency, and like we talked about before, everyone has kind of had a bad experience or had a bad taste in their mouth. When they were able to put a face, match a face with the business, then the trust level went skyrocketing. And because of that, I've had a steady stream of referrals for ever since then, ever since 2010 and 2011 with the connections that I made when we were in the Seattle area and then again in the San Francisco Bay area. I still get referrals to this day from the people that I met back then. The second thing also is the some of the SEO work that we've done on our own website. I get new leads coming in. I wake up to an email saying, hey, so-and-so has requested a game plan. And I mean, even this last couple of weeks, I've, I've got like four different new referral uh, leads that have come in via my website. And one of those is for like this ginormous project. So that all came in based on SEO work that we kind of, um, that I front loaded and then have kind of been reaping the benefits. Yeah, kind of lay the groundwork and then let that let that work. So that's kind of a think of sales system for different businesses, freelancing or service agency type of business. This referrals, this word of mouth, this in person networking, becoming known as the go to guy for that. SEO can work. Content marketing can work. If you have a physical product business, you know you're relying on Amazon optimization, Amazon ads, perhaps. Lots of different ways to get sales in the door, but to consider how are new people going to find you, basically. that's that's it. And it also, I think it helps to know the difference between if you have a product-based business or if you have a services-based business. Both methods work, whether you're advertising or marketing, spending money or hustling. But it seems to me that in many cases, if you have a product-based business, if you want to kind of get a quick shot, then you do an ad spend. And then you watch that and you can get that boiled down scientifically to you put in $2, you get $4 out kind of thing. And and then same time, same thing with this, the services side, same thing with both advertising and marketing. But they're two different business models, but you can apply a lot of the same strategies to both. I really like your soundbite. I owe it all to 
2010, 2011, Sean, laying the groundwork and it's paying your future self. It's, it's, I don't know. I'll, I'll come up with a better way to, to phrase that, but it's, uh, I think that's a really powerful soundbite. So that's number three, coming up with a system for consistent sales. If you hit sidehustlenation.com slash grow, like grow your business, you'll have a, a big list of different ideas to get the, get the creative juices flowing on maybe ways you can get more eyeballs to your thing. What's rule number four? Okay, rule number four, and then the, the rest of these are kind of connected now. So rule number four, when possible, use software instead of humans. <laughs> and that's not because we're rude business owners and we don't want to employ any humans at all. It's just that software is going to function and it's going to, it'll never call in sick for you. It'll work 99% of the time and it's better to use tools like that. So the thinking behind that is really that automation is always better. So I think this goes back to Tim Ferriss with the four hour work week that you want to automate before you delegate. So you want to get streamline as many things in your businesses as you, as you can, whether you using whatever tool you're using, Basecamp or Asana or whatever, you want to streamline it as much as you can in your business before you start delegating to humans. And so software and, and the tools that you use can take away a lot of that for you. And however they look, whether they're free tools or, or premium tools, whatever that, whatever that means. But that's kind of the point there. Okay. Yeah. Don't you get all excited and you say, Hey, I'm going to, I need a virtual assistant. I need a virtual team. It's like, well, slow down first. Let's take a look at what you might actually need. So you mentioned Asana. What else is software you can't live without these days? Okay. So Asana is in there every day, but Dropbox is, I mean, a lot of these are going to be common and, and a lot of them you've talked about a lot, but I've tried to make my business as simplistic as possible because I don't want as. That's another thing actually to think about is not to have to streamline the moving parts that you have. You don't want to have so many moving parts that you forget what's happening. But I use Asana. That's for project management slash operations slash sales slash everything. I use Dropbox, of course, for all of our clients' files and photos and everything that they they need. SiteGround is who we host everything through. So my own websites are hosted through SiteGround. Gmail, not the G Suite. I just use the the Gmail with the fetch feature to be able to use my own domains. So if you send me an email, I'm literally reading it in Gmail, even though it's pulling through SiteGround, actually. Yeah, I guess I guess I do the same thing. I just never knew what it was called. Yeah, forward the domain email to the one main Gmail account. Right. And then that way you can send as that email as well. So that way it looks professional, even though you get to use Gmail, which is very familiar to a lot of people who are on that already. And then it's free too. You don't, I mean, you're already paying for the hosting to hold all those emails. This way saves you a little bit of money. It's not much, but it's a little bit. Anything that you love on the social media management front, since that's something I imagine that you're doing for clients? Yeah, for that easy, it's Hootsuite. And that's been the case for years. It's a real easy way for the team to load up all of the information for or all of the content that's going to go out for the month. And then it's just a matter of watching and, and interacting as needed based on the client, based on their industry. In my business, I have a lot of people that are in what I would call more industrial niches where Twitter and Facebook aren't as important as stuff like local SEO, but, but Hootsuite all the way. I don't have too many others besides operational FreshBooks for accounting. 
And then for payment processing, set up originally with PayPal, and I've also been experimenting with ChargeKeep. It's based on Stripe, so it's actually super easy to use. That's pretty much it. That's the important yeah, stuff. Yeah, like I, I think, again, I try to keep it simple, keep it streamlined, so. Yeah, I'm trying to think too. There are, you know, I mean, in software all day, every day, a couple that I'm in love with and, and keep singing the praises of, you know, obviously LastPass for password management. ClipX is a Windows clipboard manager where you can copy and paste up to 25 things at a time, or it'll store the last 25 things that you save to your clipboard. I think Copy Clip is the Mac equivalent, but don't quote me on that. And then Text Expander, who's also been a sponsor on the show. I introduced my wife to Text Expander because she was like, wait, what did you just do? She was watching me like type an email in like three keystrokes. She's like, what? She's like, oh my gosh, I totally need that. You know, she's so now she's using it for her client communications and her photography business and stuff. Okay, so that's rule number four: use software instead of people. Automate before you delegate. So we're getting into the, kind of the delegation stage, and so I imagine rule number five has something to do with that. Yeah. So now we need to get to humans, but when possible, contract instead of hiring. So, like you said, when people start a business and they think, "Oh, I'm going to hire my first person," because maybe they've always wanted to be a boss instead of being the the employee or wh- whatever reason, it's like, oh, "Hold on, hold on, time out." First, use software. If, if you still need humans, then contract instead of like hiring your own employees. And what I mean by contract is, is a service, like an agency. So before you hire an SEO person, maybe you hire an SEO agency to do the work for you. And the reason why I say that is because, first of all, they're more accountable. They tend to be a bit more accountable. Employees have, they can get relaxed, let's say, over time. It's less work for you because you're not managing them. You're not, they're their own agency. They're basically treating you as if you're a client. And so they work faster. They tend to work better. And then it's less explaining to do on your part. They already know what to do. So if you contract somebody and uh, let's just use the example, an SEO agency, they know what to do. They just get right to work. So that's why instead of hiring a human that you're going to have to watch and, okay, are they doing it correctly? If you hire, company, an agency, a service, then you know that right out of the gate, they know what they're doing and they're going to they're gonna do it well because they want to keep you, especially if it's like a monthly retainer, a monthly recurring on their part. Okay. This is an interesting strategy and, and a little bit different from what we've heard from some guests in the past. Instead of trying to find this solo part-time freelancer to do task X, Y, and Z, it's like, oh, just, just find another company that already knows how to do it and go through them. The downside, I imagine that's got to be more expensive, right? Because now you got some company overhead and, and all that. It can be. So yes, that's the downside. There's a possibility of it being more expensive, but it really depends on what the service is or what the product is. So let me clarify that because that I can see that, oh, geez, an NCO agency, for example, they're going to charge me $1,000 a month and I'm only turning around and charging my client 500 How am I going to make that work? It really depends on what the specific service is, is not going to work in across the board. And that's why we'll get to the next rule, <laughs> a little prequel to that. But it's going to work based on specific industries. So, and also the volume that you have. So let's say, for example, you have 
design, there's a lot of people out there that will do design for a good solid price that you can turn around and sell for a decent price. It's basically like Fiverr, the whole Fiverr arbitrage concept where you're getting something done for five bucks and then you turn around selling it for 50 bucks or whatever it is. It's along that vein. It's a similar vein there, but it depends on, again, the industry and the service. So I guess the caveat to this rule would be contract instead of hiring as long as it's economically feasible, which in many cases it is when you factor the amount of time that you spend hiring a a human, training a human, managing a human, and then making sure that they're doing the work that they need to get done. Whereas the benefit of contracting an agency or a service or a, a company like that, as you know, it's just done right out of the gate. In in this case, you're kind of just playing general contractor. And on the surface, it looks like arbitrage, but you're playing a role in managing the client relationship and all this other stuff and saying, okay, I'm going to be your GC and find the people who can get this done for you. And it doesn't necessarily have to be me, right? Are you selling your time? Are you selling results? It actually reminds me of Ryan Cote, who hired Gabe Arnold's, both a couple of former guests of the show, hired his agency, his copywriting agency, Copywriter Today, to do content creation for his SEO clients. And he was like, I think he ended up getting ultimately two, three, four, five accounts because it's just like, I need more content. Like I'm getting my, my, my business is growing. So I need I have greater demand. And so he reached the ceiling of the capacity of this one account. He's like, well, I guess I'll get a second one. I guess I'll get a third one. And it was like, okay, great. So they're kind of growing in lockstep there. And that's also too, that the, the quality is going to be, so you get what you pay for when it comes to building a team, you get what you pay for. And so that also does, you have to think about what kind of business are you going to be? If you're going to be like a Walmart kind of business where you're the lowest person and nobody can beat your prices, well, then hiring other people to do it, it might not work because it's not going to be economically feasible for you. Whereas if you're a premium service and you offer the best, then you want to turn around and make sure that you have the best. And I'm sure everyone has that experience where they've gone to Upwork or wherever and they hire the cheapest person. I did this when I first started. I remember hiring a guy from like Bangladesh for $7 to do a whole website or something for me. And and it was horrible. It was a horrible experience. And it was like, oh, geez, I learned real fast that you get what you pay for. If you have more of a premium service and your clients are more premium clients, which side note is a better way to grow a more scalable business and it's just faster and the amount of sales required for either kind of client or customer is the same so you might as well go after the big ones then you need to also have premium services and the value add is that that you're the one orchestrating everything just like you're saying kind of like the general contractor you're the one putting this all together getting the job done All right, let's talk about bringing somebody on. So this is rule number six now, hiring or contracting with that one person, that one assistant, that one project manager, perhaps. I'm really curious to dive into what your process looks like for this, where you found success in in finding people and going forward. Right, that is six. And that is basically once you've exhausted making sure that all the automation is there and that you have the software going, you've contracted people instead of hiring, now it's time to finally hire. And I still say contract. When what I mean by that is finding people that are willing to work online 
that don't necessarily, well, again, it goes, it goes along with your business. Now my business model, everything is online. So my entire staff is also online and they're literally around the world. The majority of my team are based in the Philippines. I have one guy who's in India, a designer, and he's been with me since the, since 2011, my second year in the business when I first needed a designer and found him on Upwork. It was Odesk back in the day, now it's Upwork. And then the majority of my other team are from the Philippines and I found them via a couple of different recruiting sites and then a lot of referral-based hiring just from people that they know. When I say, hey, we need a new person, do you guys know of anyone? They have somebody and because I have my systems in place, it's not as much, and this is actually a common question that people have when they, when they say, okay, I'm ready to hire my first person. Let's pretend it's, it's my business, a digital marketing agency. Okay, so I think I need a website designer. And I say, hold on, hold on, why? Well, because, you know, and then I say, well, first of all, for me, because I have my system so like dialed in and I have everything listed out step-by-step, step, I don't need a specific, skill set as much as I need someone who can pay attention to directions, you know? So, and then again, I kind of go down, like, I don't go for the cheapest. I don't necessarily go for the expensive, but I do pay a pretty competitive wage and that gets me really good people. So again, kind of going back to the concept of you get what you pay for, to kind of go back to not willing to delegate or back to the past Sean, the, the 2010 Sean that was like, oh, I don't want to pay 10% of this to some somebody to do the work. It's worth it because they will do faster and more effectively what anything that you could do and for a much cheaper rate or a much more affordable rate, I should say. And as an example... When I first started dipping my toes into this and I found someone to do like a WordPress fix, it took him one hour to do what would have taken me like two days reading, going into forums and watching YouTube videos and just being frustrated and punching the wall and the whole thing. It, he did it in an hour and it was $8 an hour. So it cost me eight bucks to get this thing fixed. And so it really boils down to how much you you value your time. But a key place that I found people is onlinejobs.ph and for Philippines and and I've had great luck. I've had the same team members. I've had the same team members with me for for years now. I pay them fairly and the system is clear cut. It's a good steady job for them and and it's worked out. That's great. How many are you on your team now? It depends on full-time or part-time. So full-time, about eight full-time staff. And then part-time, it depends. It's between two to four. And then there's a couple of just like per projects. Like I have a couple of guys that, like my design guy in India, I don't have him on as full-time because it's just not enough design work to keep him on full-time. So that's more of a per project. But he's a go-to and Anytime he sees my email, it gets done quickly. So that's great. Have you brought anybody on for that executive assistant, somebody who's in your inbox role or even a project management role where they're overseeing other team members? Yeah, actually, my who I would call my general manager, his name is Michael, and he's actually from the Philippines. He, I think he currently lives, lives in Amsterdam, though. <laughs> Just wanted to change. But he is what I would call my general manager. And he was actually one of my first people that I hired. 
it was funny because I got three different candidates back and and Michael was, I had kind of ranked them based on their skill set. And I thought, uh, his isn't as strong as the other two. But I was kind of thinking down the road, what if I want this guy to be able to speak with clients on the phone? Or what if I want him email and the whole thing, communicate with clients? So when we got on Skype, I knew he was from the Philippines. So I was trying to speak my best English. I was like, hello, how are you? You know, and like, and he's like, oh, hey, Sean, what's up? How's it going? And I'm like, okay, I'm hiring this guy, (laughs) you know, because he told me he had had five years of accent reduction and the whole thing. And he spoke like a generic American accent. He's been with me the longest and he's kind of just assumed that role of general manager. So when I'm gone or like last summer when, when we're in Europe for the summer, like I know he can get everything, make sure that everything's happening, make sure that everything gets done. And that way it really frees up my time to be very much on top of the business, very much a business owner and not necessarily a business doer, not having to be in it every day. It's gone much more from, okay, what do I have to do today to, okay, who's doing what today? And Michael is is my man. He's he's my go-to for that. Okay, yeah. From what do I have to do today to who is doing what? I really like that. Speaking of freeing up your time, can you share if what a typical day looks like if there is such a thing for you these days? <laughs> so right now, well, we're in Scotland and we lived total in Cosmo for four and a half years. We were there for two years, two and a half years, and then took a break, went back to Southern California for a year for like a little breather. Then we went back to Cosmo. Then we decided... We've been to Europe a lot and we like Scotland. So we decided to come here. UK gives us six months on just a tourist visa for US citizens. So we thought, yeah, let's go do Scotland for six months. And part of that was just to to work. And I've kind of had a, a secret project that I've been working on. It's a novel. It's totally unrelated to anything I've ever done before. It's just, I've had this novel that's in my brain and I've, and because of my business, I've had the time and, and freedom to be able to write it up. And it just, I just saw that the formatting was done. I think literally yesterday, the cover's done. Everything's getting ready to go to throw up on Amazon and, and we'll see what happens. Oh, wow. This is, this is, this is happening. This is official. What's it called? It's called the Council of Angels. All right. We'll be on the lookout for it. Totally unrelated to anything I've ever done before, but it's a story that I've had in my brain for 20 years. And there's still some work that I do personally for a couple of key clients just because I enjoy it. But then the good chunk of, of my day has been, been a, I've been free to do other things. And so I maintain the, the blog at Family Rocket Ship. And I've actually, last year I started doing a vlog um, it's mostly because I, I kind of, I saw a lot of these families that were traveling or they're living in other countries and stuff. And they had sold apps for like $50 million. Now they're traveling the world and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. H- how do normal families do this? Cause it's one thing to sell an app for $50 million and that's great. And congratulations. That's awesome. But I was like, well, what about like the, the average Joe and is it still possible to do stuff? And so that's why I started a dorky little vlog just to be like, hey, I'm just a regular dude, but here's my life if you guys want to see it. And the the purpose is to be inspirational, to be like, hey, if I, me, just a regular Joe can do this, I didn't sell an app for $50 million, but I do have a business that pays for every all of this. And this is how I did it. Perhaps a more realistic way to get there, a more attainable way to get there. Yeah, it is. I mean, 
It is. And I'm, and of course I'm super biased, but I didn't work for five years, not taking a paycheck to then hopefully cash out. I was profitable in my very first month and then I was able to scale it. And then that's what has literally paid for me to be able to do all of this fun stuff, like writing a book and doing fun stuff and being able to travel and, and live in other countries together with my wife and kids. And I've got three kids and I've got to pay for all their food and now they're getting bigger and they're eating more food and you know all that stuff. Yeah, but this is what has paid. That's what puts food on the table for all these years and what has literally freed up my time to do other random fun stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Familyrocketship.com. We'll look for the the book, the new novel, Council of Angels. And uh, Sean has famously sold the Clone My Business course now for, for lots of years. You can check the latest version of that out at lifestylebusiness101.com, lifestylebusiness101.com. Use promo code SIDEHUSTLE for a special offer for Side Hustle Show listeners. That is an affiliate link, but I trust this guy, so I'll affiliate link that up for you in the show notes for you. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation 2018 edition. Number one tip would be what we were talking about earlier. Put in the hard work now so that your future self will thank you. I like it. And 2015, for reference, was align your skills and values with a paying market. This time, put in the hard work now and your future self will thank you. Awesome stuff, Sean. Thank you for joining me and we'll catch up with you soon. So every one of these six rules that we talked about could be a top takeaway, but these are my top three takeaways from this call with Sean. Number one is to find a mentor to model your moves after. This one is so obvious, but took me years to really understand and embrace. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to come up with something completely never been done before. Somebody somewhere has probably done what you want to do or has done something similar enough that their steps would be helpful to follow. Of course, I'm not suggesting copying anyone's business and you're going to put your own unique spin on things or pivot it to a different market, but don't overcomplicate it. Find a mentor, an in-person mentor would be amazing, but that might be a little bit more challenging. Someone online, a virtual mentor can work really well too. I mentioned some virtual mentors of mine during the call and those have been insanely valuable. And you can compare that with my old strategy of stubbornly trying to figure out everything on my own. This is why people buy franchises, right? Look, follow this recipe. We know it works. That's takeaway number one, find a mentor. Takeaway number two is to document your systems. So I am hot and cold on this one. Sometimes I'll geek out and create these super detailed checklists and and hand those off to my virtual assistant. And other times I'll do the same chore week after week without ever thinking to write it down and possibly delegate it. This chat with Sean has definitely got me fired up to get more serious about my own systems and process documentation, and to finally get on board with Asana. People have recommended it for years, but I've just never really seen the need. So I've got to give it a shot, and I'll get back to you on that. Takeaway number two, document your systems. If you do it once, if you find yourself doing something twice, you might as well create a process for it to reduce errors and just not mess things up, make life easier for you down the road. Takeaway number three is to find a specialist service before hiring a general assistant. It took me a bit of time to wrap my head around what Sean was talking about in rule number five, contract before you hire. I think what he was getting at is that there are probably already agencies and productized services that do exactly what you need done at an affordable price. Some of these companies have been featured on the show, like Gabe Arnold's Copywriter Today, 
like Russ Perry's Design Pickle, like Anthony Tran's Access WP, and I actually subscribe to several similar services to help offload certain tasks, like podcast editing through Carrie Green's podcast Fast Track, to manage Pinterest, to manage Amazon book ads. I think this model makes a lot of sense and lets you tap into somebody else's hopefully proven system without having to do all the hiring and training yourself. So find a specialist service before a general assistant. Look for some of these off-the-shelf productized services before going to a marketplace and hoping that you find somebody with the skill set that you need. So what do you think? With your business today, which of the six rules needs the most attention for you? For me, like I mentioned, it's the process documentation stuff and then probably hiring an executive assistant type of role to help me free up more deep work time. So if you or anyone you know might be a good fit for that, send me a note. Not sure what exactly that role would look like just yet, but I have a feeling it would be helpful for uh, for 2019 and beyond. Once again, notes and links from this episode, plus a full text summary of the six rules of scale are at sidehustlenation.com slash Sean. That's it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen, and I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show, where you'll meet the guy who makes money in his sleep, helping people get a better night's sleep. I'll see you then. Hustle on.